Alrighty, how's it going, everybody? This is Down the Rabbit Hole Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Turley, co-founder, co-CEO at White Rabbit Intel. And today I am very excited to have a special guest, the man, the myth, the legend, actually the sales board, Justin Michael. This guy is 49% man, 51% machine. That's why I like him, because I'm the same way. I found another brother. But anyway, Justin, please. Yeah, so I grew up uh, pretty obsessed with Blade Runner, the director's cut on Laserdisc with Edward James Olmos and uh, yeah, the Paper Crane ending. So good. You know, Laserdisc, I mean, don't you want to watch a movie the size of a Frisbee and you have to like flip it over halfway through to get the fidelity? I mean, that was that was technology. You'd have, you'd have to like, you know, blow on the game, on the Nintendo game to get it to work. <laughs> yeah, right. Or you just got to hit it a couple times. Yep. And it would oh, work. Yeah. You just kind of bang on the Nintendo, the NES, and it would go. It was like, they finally figured out. I feel like they built it that way for the satisfaction of, you know, fix, fixing yeah, hitting it. Stuff like making it work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's like the 80s, all tech in the 80s. You just kind of bang it and it, or you blow on it and it works. <laughs> It's fantastic. All those analog contacts and stuff, it would just be dust buildup or some bullshit in there. That's, I think it's funny, though, because it was so satisfying to blow out like an N64 game. Oh, my God. It was just like, yeah, it's going to be so clean. You just jam it in there. <laughs> Things were easier back then. Yeah. So so I am a, a futurist, and I wrote a couple books, um, comboprospecting.com, techpoweredsalesbook.com, and they're really about prospecting but the future toward the singularity i'm really uh passionate about ray kurzweil and where technology is going i spent 15 years selling marketing and advertising technology to cutting-edge mobile startups and venture-backed startups and also working the enterprise i work for salesforce for linkedin i have my own consultancy and now i just have like sort of a collective called salesborgs.ai and i push this concept called technology quotient because it's very hard to get skills now that will be relevant five years from now. Meaning if you just learn all the platforms of today, the platforms will be gone in three to five years. So what is the meta skill? It's learning how to learn. It's becoming um, avid or adept at all user interfaces, UX, UI. If you understand that one to use one sales technology tool and you're using a lot of different UIs and UXs, like the CSV imports, the way the APIs work, the integrations, the integration tools, it's all, it starts to bleed together. And it's similar, like if you can drive stick shift, you kind of can go into any European car and figure That's it out. Right. That's right. And uh, so I, I like what you're saying with the, a platform only ever lasts like five years. The ones that are really dang good are the ones that last longer than that. And those are the ones who continue to innovate. So usually companies get comfortable, they stop innovating, then they fall behind and then they crash and burn. For example, MySpace, perfect. Uh, but outside of that, also Vine, another one. But outside of that, if you can last that long, that's incredible. A company, a tech company uh, that creates software, so a SaaS company that is 25 years old in SaaS years, that's like a hundred, that's like ancient man, that's like a bank, right? Yeah, so... I do miss MySpace. I had 200,000 people on MySpace and I was doing marketing and guerrilla marketing and promoting in the music business and uh, wanted to get into SaaS and software sales. And uh, right around, I would say 2011, 2012, I started, to, I started to notice that people were using templates to automate their email. So it started out for me with ToutApp and Yesware because I could already back then, uh, nearly 10 years ago, do the pixel tracking and I thought that was helpful because I just wasn't getting emails 
answered. So I, I could start there. And so what's strange is that little seed, I started reading a lot of sales books and then just sort of like the way that people binge watch Netflix, I ended up reading hundreds of these sales books. <laughs> and then I ran into Scott Lee's, I think right around the time, 2011. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was 31. And I was like, Scott, what are your favorite books? And he's like, you shouldn't be studying sales and books. You need to either like do sales or go rock climbing or it's not sales books. That was really fascinating. So I spent 10 years as an operator, VP of sales, RVP, ran teams. And the part where I always excelled the most was the top funnel. And it's because I would use the automation and the tools because my background part of that was uh, music production, recording, and also graphic design. So I'd sat in very early applications of Photoshop and become very proficient at advanced layering techniques and channel ops. And then also within the music business, I would record in Logic and Reason and Pro Tools, building out uh, elaborate, you know, multi-track productions with hardware and software, you know, a hundred different tracks and spending a hundred hours on some of this stuff on the beats. So when I got to sales tech and tools and MarTech, I was like, wow, this stuff's easier to do than oh, the graphic sure design and the hard, the stuff for old school music reporting. You sit there just trying to get one microphone to work and to record into a computer. You don't have a laptop, you have a, you know, a tower computer and pre-processors and all this hardware and software and everything's just breaking all the time. This is in the uh, mid to late nineties when this stuff was really not that stable uh, and it was expensive to do it. So that's, that's the background. So, I don't know. I, I, it was interesting. I got hand selected to go to this company called Outbound Works, and I was the co-founder of Data Nice. It was uh, five, six years ago, and they came to me and said they were trying to automate sales development, like fully automate the role of the SDR. And you know, I'd been upset, obsessed with the book Predictable Revenue by Aaron Ross, and so I interviewed and I got the job to backfill a co-founder. What we ended up doing is building effectively building like, I don't know, 400 or 500 virtual SDRs. Like they basically instances of SDR supply chains that function like an SDR, but there's no human in the mix. So like a team of 10 was running this hundred person virtual army of SDRs. And we had demographics, psychographics, technographics, not the, not the level of white rabbit Intel. And we were automating the campaigns and it, it the Turing test is a funny thing, but the prospects couldn't tell it was automated. Because back then, five, six years ago, if you could do some of the curly bracket stuff, it was novel. We, we were actually achieving personalization at scale, which then was very relevant. I'll stop there in case you have other questions. Oh, no. I was going to add to that of, uh, yeah, personalization at scale was relevant. Now it's really just, that's something that, that it's fallen off. It's fallen off. It's relevance at scale, as you know. It is relevance at scale. And once you are relevant, then you personalize to that person with real connection. So it's, I feel like, uh, automation is shifting where a fully automated approach just doesn't work because the human is needed in the sale. And I feel like the humans needed in the sale earlier because the more effective we get with this automation on the top of the funnel, we don't need it for as deep into the funnel because it sets them up to be in the right spot right off the bat. So the human can take over sooner rather than later. And it makes it a higher success ratio that way. I'm really interested in this concept of hyper-personalization or synthesis, which dovetails in relevancy, which is could a machine, it's kind of what, what um, White Rabbit Intel is doing. Could a machine ingest enough different data sources that it could synthesize data sources? For example, Jeremy Donovan is really a brilliant SVP strategy at Sales Loft. He, he programs sequencers in the Fibonacci series. I thought that was just really ingenious and fun. And uh, he talks about synthesis. So let's just say you want to get a, an executive on the phone. So you read their book. Let's say you went to this length. You read their book. You, you went through all their podcasts, you read all their blogs, 
and you looked at just there the first five pages of Google, and then you synth you connected, you actually made you synthesized insights based on everything you found. Now you could program an artificial intelligence. You could use machine learning. You could have it train itself, and you could create almost a neural net like a brain to read yep. that. And do I could so I could do that in three hours, five hours. I mean, I could just dedicate oh, no, my no. life. So we to do study. that, and yeah. we could do a thousand people in five minutes. So yeah, so that's that's the future, and then it's it's the nugget that gets pulled out of that. So um, my friend from Sharetivity, he's got this thing, a patent on it that basically reads blog posts. So it takes a machine and goes and listens to the blog post after it translates them, and then pulls out nuggets. What you're trying to do is it's this race. You have everyone automating with basic generic personalization. And if you can not look like a machine or you can pull out an insight that makes them think, whoa, this person probably took some time. There's either two ways to do that. One, just actually write an email, like study and write an email because your brain's powerful. But number two is, could you build uh, data stacks, intent stacks, psychographic stacks? So I think intent slices the accounts and then um, psychographic slice the people. Yes. But you the don't people really, are the accounts because people make yeah, the company. You probably don't need both. You probably could just go slice the people and get to the right people with the right message at the right time. So because the people is the company, but behavioral yeah. is very, very important. And intent data is very important for business to consumer because people love to impulse buy shit. So you can catch them like that. The reason that behavioral is not effective for B2B is because businesses do not impulse buy. That's not a thing. It's a huge decision with multiple stakeholders. So what does someone's interaction on a phone, tablet, or a computer have anything to do with a business's decision? Well, nothing at all. The connection is the person that you need to champion. This is the old, it's old style too. Think about it. This is, that's traditional. You got to champion someone. You got to make sure they talk to their boss the right way, that, they, that you treat them well, that you really sauce them up and everything like that. You protect them. You become their best friend. That's still necessary no matter what, because you have to go through a hell of a barrier and you have to be liked by other people who are not even associated with you at this point. So it's a very powerful thing to have that empathetic that empatheticness, but someone who's just going around on Amazon and like clicking through stuff, everything like that thing pops up. Oh shit, I need that. Boom, bought it. Like, you know, that is when behavioral becomes key to the process. And that's why e-commerce has been dominated for sure. Yeah. I, I remember that Google called this the ZMOT, the zero moment of uh, intent or the, that's right. Uh, ZMOT, zero that's moment of truth. Zero moment of truth. It's the moment of intent where you go, I need that running show, shoe, or you're sitting on Amazon. Oh, I'll get that other pair of jeans, or I'll just get that other sales book. It's only three bucks. Boom. You just hit it. You just, it's impulse. So, yes. The thing that I'm obsessed with is really neuroscience. And so I've, I've taken it and thought, is neuroscience really that hard? So you go and you read these books on neuroscience and you're studying Moneyball or all these rats. And it's like, let's all study the rats. And okay. I try to make it much easier. <laughs> so I've gone way out into the future. I wrote this article called Sales Runner 2049 Beyond Sales Development. And then I had a podcast uh, on 10 Bound called Beyond Sales Development. And I have another secret podcast. You can find it on Spotify called XDR X Machina because I call it XDR because it's SDR, MDR, BDR, all that. For me, neuroscience is we actually all understand our brains way more than we lead on. You know, we understand we're tired and at 3 p.m. we want a coffee. It, like we are the fish so we can understand the fish and the brain is much simpler than than you think. But but the issue of why people don't understand themselves is because they're sub, they do not reach into their subconscious and make it conscious. The fact that you're like, oh, I'm hungry, I'm gonna eat at 12, it just becomes just, they do it every single day. It just becomes a habitual process. Humans are creatures of habit. It takes approximately 67 days to break one. It's really hard. But if you are actually 
um, you know, from the actual, uh, not, not subconscious, but conscious perspective, if you think about these things consciously, it unlocks a lot more uh, capability to be able to have that control, especially with neurosciences. It's all chemical releases in the brain that make you do this, that, or like neonepinephrine, boom, you're lazy. You don't want to move. An object that that's, that is in motion stays in motion. The one that's not stays there. So you need serotonin to be able to, to break up that nepinephrine so that you can actually get somewhere and do something. But usually when you have nepinephrine, you're sitting on a couch, you don't want to do other things. And then guess what? Uh, you're playing a video game, you're getting dopamine hits all the time. So that nepinephrine of laziness feels amazing. That's a reward system. So it's really hard to get yourself out of that rut. And that's what, how this connects to sales is that salespeople get stuck into the rut of doing the same thing every single time, expecting the same result, or they're not doing that well. They get into a rut, they lose morale. What they were doing before isn't working anymore. How am I even a good salesperson? Can I do this job anymore? And it's kind of upsetting to watch that happen because all you have to do is change. You have to fight it. Yeah, so I just created a series of hacks. I don't really know how I figured it out. Uh, my grandfather was a nuclear physicist, worked in this particle accelerator in Long Island, Brookhaven Lab, and studied isotopes and just sped up particles and, you know, bashed them together, sort of like CERN and that big loop in Europe where, and I think yeah, Elon think Musk massive, is building another yeah. one, the massive one. It's like under all these countries, people don't even realize it, but you basically need these, these huge rings and you get these elaborate speeds and these infinitesimal particles. But, but I figured out something much simpler is I just, I just thought, okay, what is the brain doing? And so I looked at email and I'm thinking, okay, email is text, but what is text? It's symbols and what are fonts and what are symbols? They're images. So what you're doing with emails, you're actually doing imagery. So why can't we send images and emails? And I found this company called Dogpatch Advisors and they were doing like really sophisticated visual prospecting where they were building emails that had script in them and would pull data from different websites and go out and crawl the prospect site and customize each email. You send a hundred emails, every email has different logos in it, different value props. It's pretty it awesome. incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> go check them out. So it's almost overkill in a way, but I mean, like segment.io had a case study. It's It's been taken down since, but it was incredible. So I went and met with them in San Francisco and I was just enamored. I'm like, wow, email is visual. So I started to do Venn diagrams. And I started sending like things that you would see from product marketing and they got these amazing results. And so I found these two companies, get cloud app and cloud app and Giazzo. I always, I want to say, I always want to say Giazzo was a minute ago, man. I still have that. Yeah. App, so. I always like, say Giazzo because yeah. the Giazzo dumplings, it makes me hungry for Japanese food. I love food. So, uh, but these two things you do screen caps. And so on the best like technical, I'm from SaaS. So like SaaS sites, you have like this three second gift that shows the wow factor from the demo. So what if you nest those into a sequencer? So we started like experimenting massively with imagery and getting it delivered and compressing it to hundred kilobytes and putting the second, third touch. And then we started, you know, um, like you were talking about frequency. See, so actually the words in emails, um, a sequence is what it's doing and the cadence is how often, like if you think of it from sonics and sound waves. Yeah, so it's a frequency. So it's the frequency, exactly. It's like a sound wave. So. I created all these weird systems and theories and tested them. Um, the first is that email is visual. The second is the phone calls were really throwing me because everyone said it was tonality. It's 80% tone. But I actually found that phone works more based on power shifts and it's actually like alpha and beta and where the power is. Because when you call prospects and interrupt them and you take their power and you're, and you're spotlighting yourself, they feel small and out of control and they just exactly. fight you. Exactly. 
It's all just a game of who's the person in charge, who's the most important person in the room, and your prospect is always the most important person in the room. Well, if you don't have a lot of money, then your authority is, you can have power, you can have money, it's binary, but the prospect has the power to tell you no, and they love that because it inflates them to tell sellers to go away. That's their software program. And it's also giving an option, like giving a way out, saying you don't have to do this. At the end of it, when they're already sold, giving them that, yes, there's an escape, there's a way out, that adds a level of comfort and buyer safety that is unparalleled. So I find I met with this master Sandler trainer who was at Oracle for 20 years, this guy Benelli, and I got to do a, a, oh, sure. a training. I so I met with this guy. I was like, um, I think it's Matt Benelli. And he I asked him, what's the secret? Like, what did David Sandler do? And David Sandler brought in transactional analysis, which you and I have talked about through Marcus Couchy, a lot yep. of pop psychology, psychotherapy, just you know, sociology, study this stuff. He brought a new program, simplified it, did a Bob Ross, kind of what I do. Basically said, everything you're doing in sales, and that's why I did combo unboxing, just do the opposite. So you're about to close the deal, catch and release. Like we're about to do a deal and say, hey, let's not do the deal. Or if someone says, not interested, yeah, you're probably not ready. You just do the opposite of everything the you want to do. takeaway method. Or, you know, yeah. if you're saying like, yeah, no, I don't think this is a good fit. It's like, you know, or, you know, if they're giving you a lot of pushback, you say, you know, Maybe this isn't a good fit for for us because I, I don't know if you'd be a great fit for the pro, for our product or working with us because you know you have your own prerogative of blah 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 and then it's just and you know we can reconvene another time like it's it's no big deal I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste my time so I want to be mindful of this um, we could just walk away as friends and they go wait I need they now need to prove themselves how good of a client like I'm good enough for this product I'm good enough for this service I'll tell you how damn good of a client I am and then they literally sell themselves to you as a good client and then it's you that says yes and they yeah so it it became addictive for me I don't know it's it's all neuroscience but I just I found these little hacks I'd hack this piece I'd hack that that piece I mean the two biggest ones is that email is is visual and phone is power that's like the tombstone one but then I came up with all these other little ones too. And what I would do is I would look through all the sales books and all the methods and all the micro methods. And I couldn't find anything that it was derivative off of. And piece by piece, I started to break down these 20 year old sales systems and say something different. And then I put it all into open source guides and like released it onto Reddit. And then people would get it and be like, it's derivative. And then they couldn't find it. I even had a sales trainer say, you plagiarize it, but then you can't find it anywhere because I came up with it. And so, you know, there's stuff like comparing sequences to ge geometry, fractals. Yes, um, I see everything in geometry and fractals. The way I do math is geometry and fractals. The way I see like conversations, it's geometry and fractals. That's how I view the world. That's how I do math. That's how I do everything. Yeah, right? I was really, so I've talked to these professors because I was really good at geometry and um, I, I struggled hitting calculus. I got to algebra three, four trig and I got an A on it, but I must say I did it through sheer work ethic. I mean, I was in the teacher's office a couple hours a day, just trying to do it. And I was always, I was always driven like that. Some people just, you know, my brother ace calculus is mine. He got the physics gene. But what I talk about with educators is there's two math geniuses. There's like a geometric one and there's a calculus one. And so yep. I had the geometric one. So when I started getting the programming emails, it was like Mandelbrot and you know philip k dick and looking at the coastline of brazil and like okay we have this amazing thing which is a cluster we have a time signature like music like we have emails going out in these clusters and we have narrative arts and we have these stories that are so then i then i realized that i started thinking about the way human beings communicate every considered purchase every huge thing is done in text so like 
the significant significant other is not sending you like a long expository essay about the potential property to buy a house, sending a text. Oh, it's two bedrooms. I don't know if it'll hold the resale value. Yeah, stove is a little sketchy. Like it's all broken English. I'm thinking, you know, and then I would I would email these CEOs. I have a CEO be running the East region, and I would write like two thousand words. Everything we need to change. He write back two weeks later. What's the deal? You don't answer my email. It's like, look, I, can you give me three bullet points? I don't have time. I'm getting the same update Yo, from, from APAC. I, just give me just and well, three bullets. If you're going to do a lot of text, though, I do a lot of text, right? I also yeah. do spheres and everything like that. But a lot of text and people read them and love them and thank me for them because how detail-oriented I am. But So I have a background in graphic design. Not many people know that. So you know I mean? it's about the way the paragraphs look, are shaped, split up what visual breakpoints that you have and everything, what the font is, the size, how you style everything. You can have a full essay uh, email. As long as it's styled right, they will not be able to get their eyes off the screen. As long as you have an engaging beginning. It's storytelling mixed with design elements of typography. I'm not against the long form. In fact, obviously, I, I always joke I wrote a 70,000-page book, 70,000 words. So it's 270 pages. You should read it because the very end is a lot of the sci-fi stuff. Um, I'm just <laughs> talking about to catch to catch people who are busy who are executives. So you have TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Instant Messenger, WhatsApp, Discord, Clubhouse, all this stuff's hyper short form. I use that atomized communication that looks like text messages. And then I have this thing called heuristics, which I figured out in email and in phone calls, everyone's just downloading scripts and copying each other because there's a sheer lack of creativity. So I figured out these puzzle pieces from computer coding because of my rudimentary understanding of pseudocode and Ruby on Rails and Node.js is they're kind of code bases that sit on code bases, right? And then we get down there and we're into machine code and we're down to the zeros and ones. And everything's right, right. a framework the more and a layer. It becomes the more complex that you're able to create things and yeah. how it goes because you have, the, you, have, you have basic and you have visual basic and then it moves up and up and up and up and up and up and up. And then yeah. the more abstract it becomes, the more human it becomes, the more like English it becomes, uh, the more complex things can get built. Yeah, so I realized that all linguistics within emails is puzzle pieces and it's just, you're doing, you know, it's like you have a main theme and you have an opening sentence and when you get a template, you can deconstruct the template. Now I see Josh Braun doing elements of this where he breaks what each statement is. Heuristics are just meta framework. So you do something funny in the beginning, a humor opener. If you say thanks at the end of email, it's a gratitude, you know, heuristic. So I, I came up with this heuristics thing. I've never seen it ever before apply to this. It's typically an engineering term. So now we've got fractals and then this thing called emotional resonance, which is just, you said it, people buy the experience. From people the that they like, that they yeah, trust, the emotion. and that they can relate to. And that's yeah. that. Yeah. So if you, if you write emails that are not, so the story works because it produces emotion. It's like the hero's journey. I talk about that in my book, Joseph Campbell and Star Wars and the narrative arcs and the seven movie plots. But what I find in emails, if you make them hyper short, you get 60% open rate. But then if you have emotional resonance, pain and fear, you trigger people emotionally and then they use the logical elements of the sequence. So I went on and on and on and on and uh, released all these different guides and open source and wrote this book. And it's all just kind of a big Jackson Pollock mess. I can't say there's any rhyme or reason to all of it, but these little collections of hacks, they percolate this community called salesborgs.ai and everyone takes it and just breaks it because it's like GitHub, it's open source. So I just, I give it to rival trainers. I put it on Reddit, I spread it everywhere. I've given a thousand guides away. People, I disagree with this, change. okay, what did you get? I now am learning from the student. Like the community now is sending me back better stuff. I, I use this picture, you know, they're doing SpongeBob. People are writing Venn diagrams on a yellow pad. They, 
they're like doing cartoons on a pad and doing a, a picture of the pad and sending it like, cause I have this theory of ugliness. If it's ugly, it probably wasn't from marketing. Like who would get an automator and go, gosh, I want to put a bad grammar, bad spell, ugly email into my sequencer. That looks like a text message. <laughs> no one except me, but it, it converts like crazy. And I learned this, I was doing Facebook ads on an e-education study network. And when we had the grainy cell phone pictures of students studying, it went wild. And uh, it's kind of like YouTube theory, you know? Uh, you see like a famous recording artist and it's just real and raw and people love it. But the whole airbrushed perfect ads, it, it doesn't build the trust. So That's uh, right, because it was put there by a commercial industry. If it's perfect, yeah. it's commercial. If it's perfect, it's commercial. If it's funky, if it's weird, if it's broken, if it's just like kind of sad or, or gross, that means a person put it there. A person who was working really hard to try to put it there at least. Yeah. So yeah, I, I became this tactician for cold email and cold calls. And I created this pitch later framework for, it's a series of three pattern interrupts for calling called route ruin multiply. And it keeps people on the phone for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I've even tested it with text messages. I sent 200 text messages to a list, nothing, use route ruin multiply, got four meetings, 15 minutes using this theory. So it, it's been confirmed. And now I'm not really sure what to do next. I just have these companions. Oh, yeah, I, I got one for you. So I sent 15 of these out. It was just asking a question, set four meetings. I sent it before I went to sleep, woke up, four meetings in the books. So I'll read this. So it's four questions. On, it's a LinkedIn message out to people who connected with me. Now, I did not reach out to them. And uh, what it was is that um, I quite simply created four questions and labeled them number one, two, three, and four. And what I got out of that is let's see here it is uh i have a few questions for you that may you may find intriguing that i'd love to hear your thoughts on now it's about them i want to hear your opinion right number one what if you had a magic wand that could proactively and psychographically target and predict who to reach out to first number two what if you had the ability to effectively remove the majority of risk during m a number three what's wrong with having an unfair advantage in a crowded market and number four what would it mean to your business to have total certainty within your sales pipeline? Love to hear your thoughts on these. Can't wait to hear back. Cheers, Rob. And that was just 15 messages out. Never spoke to these people before. They reached out to me, tried just selling something to me, mostly like C-suite VPs, sent that out. And they went nuts over it. Answer the question in full paragraph saying, I want to talk more about this. I need to see what you got, everything like that. It's easy. So we should build some guides. So now like I get together with all these people in Salesborgs and we just create guides. Like we just come up with riffs and different ideas and this stuff comes from the street as much as it comes from neuroscience or pop psychology. And it's just like, did it work? If you put it in a sequencer and run it, how's it, how's it doing? And so people actually, they say to me, they're like, well, if you become the next Aaron Ross and you get the 15 minutes of fame and your book's number one or something, you know, there's 7 million hunters in software and there's going to be a million SDRs reflect all this funding, the 5 billion. And then everybody's going to send short emails and then your techniques won't work anymore, Justin, because everyone will do them. And, and you got to go back to the long hand writing and exactly. you know, like handwritten <laughs> notes and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, like back calligraphy. To mail -in. If you send mail in advertising, B2B mail in, uh, and it's all custom written. It, it's, it's really nice paper, like really nice stock paper, maybe threaded. And then you have like, like an actual wax stamp on it and everything. It's customized to them. The conversion rates on those right now are absolutely unfreaking real. Yeah, I would feel like it was an alien if I got a beautiful letter like that. I would definitely respond. Because you're like, oh my god, for me, it's not a bill or an ad or a pink slip that says oh I need god. freaking like car coverage. Like, <laughs> yeah, I like socks. I like just fun socks. You know, I mean, just simple stuff works. Shit, I gotta send you fun socks now.
If you got if you got white rabbit socks, socks. Oh, I don't. Rabbits. But I've got like dinosaurs. One on one, uh, it's like a dinosaur skating on a skateboard, like a T Rex. And then on the other, he's in uh, what's it called? The uh, the crutches because he fucked up. It's hilarious. Is that wait? Is that just random socks you have, or those? Is that swag for white rabbit? No, no, no. This is random ass socks that I have. Okay, yeah. It's, Rob's like, I'll just send you a pair of my random socks. Okay. No, not my socks. I'll buy you some. But okay, yeah, that I works. want to make white rabbit socks. I want to make white <laughs> rabbit sweatshirts most of all, and uh, I want to yeah. get sunglasses too. But what I'm going to do that I'm very excited about. My team doesn't know, but they barely listen to my podcast. So I don't really care. They say they do. They're lying to me. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm making desktop towers that are custom built with the glass open everything like that so you can do a custom build with a white rabbit glow light yes that's cool yes. yeah i mean anything unique I, I worked for a company called swerve and we sent marshall bluetooth amps where it was laser etched instead of marshall it said swerve laser that's amazing. Etched, really, really nice bluetooth uh bluetooth and then uh, actually yeah the ceo christopher dean he sent people uh skateboards these cool like skate surfboards these longboard skateboards and they Dude, had like, I had one graffiti of art it had graffiti art over the bottom it said swerve and it was i had cool. one of those i didn't even know what the fuck it was i probably did i mean this is like a cmo gift we would do do some cool stuff like that so i bought one from from a uh from a thrift store didn't know what it was it looked sick so i bought it for like 20 bucks i had no idea what it was where it came from or anything could have been some swag yeah so so my thing is i am a futurist i have these two books i'm going to redo combo prospecting with tony um, I've got this this TQ test that I've developed that you aced, which is technology quotient, which is basically revenue operations. Because what I think that happens is the SDRs they, they can't really get away with no technical skills and just like you know selling thirty percent of the business time. acumen. You need to help solve a problem. If you're just pitching yeah. if you're product and feature selling, that's the weakest form of sales. You need to help solve a problem. That's it. I think I think they're going to join the RevOps team. I think these RevOps teams are going to have, this is going to sound hilarious, but mops, sops, rops, stops. So what I mean by that is there's marketing operations for like inbound stuff and, you know, your website and all the cookie-based systems that might go away, but the, the targeting and tracking of the advertising and the ABM stuff. And then there's the sales operations for the ABS stuff. And so that's a flywheel. And then there's, you know, data operations for like targeting and data, psychographics, all of this. And then there's revenue operations with the blanket. And so these teams are so understaffed now because there's so many platforms to run and their job is just calling the vendors constantly because it's broken and the systems don't talk. And, you know, there's tons of difficult processes, which mainly is you got to open up Excel, concatenate this stuff, do pivot tables. You have to be like a wizard with raw data whether you have Tableau or Redshift or Looker or any of that to even just feed all the systems well, and then that, produce that shit, report. Tableau's fucking useless if you don't know what to do with the data in the first place. Okay, I just made a bunch of tables and graphs about something I'm never gonna freaking look at ever again and don't, I can't even use it for something. It's just because you're now looking at it now. Well, wow, pretty graphs. I'm gonna look at it once a week and not really know what's going on. You need to know how to feed it and design it and set it up and the inputs. And so all these analytic systems are only as powerful as the human setting up the analysis right also, it's just like the data normalization practices or the crm hygiene as they're calling it these days is so awful because humans put it there and the sales team don't they don't have any process hence sales ops to be put to put in the data the same way as one another so instead of it being united states typed out and then usa typed out and then us typed out then u.s.a typed out that none of that is going to normalize and it looks like fractions of pieces of different things because it's not the same data point yeah there's this company syncery it's a former marketo uh, Nick Bonfiglio, they're doing some really cool stuff. They just got some funding. And so I think they're creating this database that sits outside of 
your Salesforce and Marketo and it's an end and it sits there in real time and it constantly checks the fields and it keeps everything in sync. So Syncery, it's a really good name and it's sort of the evolution. It's going in the direction of um, platforms like trade.io and Workato and um, if this, then that and Zap, Zapier. Um, the big thing is LinkedIn still has a closed API. And so the ecosystem of core tech stacks is you have LinkedIn sales navigator, 750 million self-healing profiles. Then you have Zoom Info. That's basically IPO'd in a sense because you can't get emails and phone numbers out of LinkedIn. And everyone on LinkedIn uses Zoom Info to get the emails and phone numbers out of LinkedIn. And then third, you got to automate. So then you have all these power dialers and parallel assisted dials. So when I wrote the book, I was like, well, there's no sales anymore. People are like, there's the outbound movement. They're like, oh, we just use a Gmail. We use a pen and pad. And like all the people pushing the anti-tech are super tech stack oriented they're constantly on linkedin they're blogging they're posting they're building websites they're retargeting so it's just they're more tech oriented than the people who say they're tech oriented so that's people. the great irony and it's just and, that they don't log their data in a system which they should because that would make yeah. them next level motherfuckers that's that is a fact yeah so um the truth about linkedin right now is the most famous sales leaders on linkedin they're awesome content marketers they're they're their content, social media, they're like SMM mavens because there's no time. I mean, if you're dominating the LinkedIn feed, you're not no, out there. I don't know how people do it. I'm lucky if I post once, maybe twice a week because I'm so underwater with work 24 seven, doing consultation, doing trainings, uh, like managing the team, putting out fires, doing, you know, working with the board and taking care of all of the managerial and all the leadership problems and creating new processes for the company and all that. Stuff. It's crazy how these guys have the time to do it. Crazy. Yeah. So some of them have teams and assistants, ghostwriters, depending on the scale that they're at. And it's just, I mean, they're obviously talented. They're getting, you know, hundreds of likes per post. So I'm not invalidating that, but and hundreds of a, likes on LinkedIn is like thousands of likes on Instagram. Really? Okay. Yeah. So, but the, the question is, um, you know, where, where is the great leadership in revenue operations? Where is the great leadership in sales? Where is it gone? There are these incredible methodologies in books that are guys exciting now to see this book called medic. M-E-D-D-I-C coming back. It's from PTC. It's actually 25 years old. It's a, it's the hottest framework and it's 25 years old. Um, but I guess my Why best advice coming back. Medic's not even that great. I mean, it's a, and also you don't learn sales from books. The same thing that you were saying before is that you don't learn sales from books. I read one sales book. I swore off ever reading another one because it was a total waste of my fucking time. You I learn more you about sales, learning about <laughs> relationship psychology and childhood psychology than any sales book would teach you because the sales psychology book is that it, it's that but watered down and they don't know what they're actually fucking talking about. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, my book is more about revenue operations and sales tech stacks. And uh, I didn't want it to be a pop piece. Like it came from the nineties. I wanted it to want last. To that says a lot. So thanks. It's different. Yeah. It, the goal of the book would be to have the book last for five or 10 years where I can just revise it. So 200 new tech stacks come out. I go interview all those people again, put them back in the book. There's a second edition. The thing that won't change is this concept of technology quotient is real because you have IQ and you have EQ, but you have to have something else. And that is proficiency with the technology. And how do you get it? You have online universities, you have e-learning, you have, you know, LinkedIn learning. You you know have I do want to make a point with TQ, honestly. One of the biggest issues, this is why old people don't learn tech because they feel like it's going to break when they touch it. Technology was built not to break. Just literally fuck with it 
until you can figure it out. It's not going to break. It was built that way. And if you do break it, call the company, tell them they're going to love you for it because you found a bug. They might even pay you. Like that's the thing is that it's not going to break. Use it and don't worry about it because if you're not exploratory, you're never going to learn. And that's one of the biggest things holding people back because they don't know what the outcome is going to be because they fear the unknown. It's a problem. That was the big way that I was able to get the publishing deal is I talked about the technology avoidant masses. There are 50 million people who are entrepreneurs or have businesses of some kind. And for the most part, they throw up their hands and say, I'm not technical. Really? You have Gmail, you have LinkedIn, you have Zoom, you have video conferencing, you have payment process. They have such a tech stack and they don't even acknowledge it. Well, and well so they say they're not technical though, because they're not technical in their mindset and they also don't know how to build technology, but building tech is not being technical. That's called being an engineer. You're not, you're not an engineer, but you are technical because you're surrounded by technology 24 seven and you live on it pretty much. We're all now in a techno society where my mom is proficient in, you know, sending and forwarding emails and attaching documents and scanning effects. I mean, this stuff was impossible five years ago. I remember certain generations couldn't use Facebook and now it's the, the biggest demographic is over 55. And this stuff is not intuitive. It's intuitive because of the way it's built out of the, the, the past incarnation. So what I would say is just become less technology avoidant. Um, if you have a piece of software where there's an onboarding program or a training program where you can take a quick course online or go to YouTube and just Google that piece of software and all the tutorials and go through and it's like Excel. I remember I had to run this, uh, these operations in Costa Rica and do this complicated accounting and all of it was sitting in Excel and I had two things I could do. I could avoid it or learn it. So I sat there. I'll be honest. I, I, I basically like a fish out of water the first few weeks. Excel I didn't know how to do it. Is a Fucking it was a beast. It was trying to learn, such man. a beast. Yeah. So I would just write, I would take pads of paper and I'd take step one, step two, 50 steps. And this guy named Dustin, he'd just sit with me. And it was like training day, like Denzel Washington. I just kept messing this thing up. You know what happened? After a couple weeks of, you know, doing these $100,000 reconciliations and, and figuring how all the different spreadsheets overlaid, I saw it. I saw the patterns and I figured it out and then I understood it. So I not only was using Excel and the pivot tables, but I was understanding how one screen and one tab went into the other. And then I became very proficient at it. And then I was catching the other managers where they were making mistakes. And then I broke. So I hired a guy named Joe and I called him Macro because he was in there writing all these complicated automations and macros because we were running, you know, we had an operation of 750 people in three countries and list management and it was absolutely complicated. But what I proved to myself is I could learn anything if I just sat there, created a se sequential steps and endured the pain. That's how I learned Photoshop. That's how I learned Pro Tools. That's how oh, I learned yeah. outreach. Because I'm well versed in every single Adobe tool, well versed in all the audio production tools, well versed in all the video production tools, you know. well versed in all the sales automation tools, marketing automation, literally everything because I sat there and learned. Sure, I went to college for design. but. That it's it, that gave me the drive to learn tech because if you can learn design programs like Maya, for example, you can oh, learn man. anything. That's crazy. So I, I don't know if it was uh, Alias Wavefront, the guy that built that. He lives here in Santa Barbara. Uh, his name is escaping me right now, but I got to visit with him. He's super into uh, Neil Stevenson and Snow Crash and like uh, you know William Gibson and some of the original. I talk about. Uh, Neuromancer and some of the original science fiction that sure. predicts the, the internet and kicks off cyberpunk and that's where the matrix comes from. But it's funny, you and I, what I would say, and I'll ask you is when you think of all those different systems you just listed, it's weird because there's something about 
Final Cut Pro and Pro Tools and Photoshop and Outreach.io, there's something about UI UX design. It's almost like there's a similarity to it, for me at least. Yeah, I can well, almost intuitively figure it out. That, that's the magic of designers using universal iconography is what it's called. And yeah. when you see an icon that looks like something, you know that, oh yeah, if it's a square with a triangle on top, it's a home button. It's not actually a picture of a house, you just know. If it's a little arrow, it's a back button. If it's a little squiggly going this way, it's a refresh. If it's a squiggly going that way, it means it means to rewind. Like it's it's become so universal and they use those universal design elements, which becomes law. And if you break those laws, that's when things start falling apart. So if you truly buy to be, try to be experimental and quote unquote intuitive and go too far down the, the meta designer route, no one's gonna use it or understand it because it's not familiar to them. Because again, humans are creatures of habit and familiarity. If you break that, they run away. Yeah, so I, I think back to just being, you know, 14, 15 years old and spending the entire summer for three, four hours a day walking through Photoshop tutorials on my tower computer, my power PC, and going through, you know, Kai's Kraus and learning these darkroom techniques and how to do these channel operations and these layers and, and going to UCSB extension. I think that's where TQ and all my work to this day comes out of is early interactions with user interfaces because ultimately everything's a user interface. And if you think of the cockpit of a 747, you know where all the buttons are and what they do, or you think of learning to drive. So I wrote this book, uh, Technology Quotient, and I showed it to people They're like, oh, this is what we needed in the 90s. This is what we needed in the 80s and 70s since the it moment- It would have prepped that, everybody for the future. Yeah, it, it goes backward and preps everybody. It goes forward because even if you're using these Oracle systems, these massive ERP, hardware legacy there's, pieces of shit yeah yeah but there's still tons of little um calibrations and controls and knobs and buttons and then little software overlays so um and what's really cool about recording technology is now you open up a, a screen and it's got all the hardware as virtual machines with all the different knobs and equalizers it synthesizes the actual hardware on your screen but the best people at design have actually gone to the dark room and used an unsharp mask and you you know and used a give me right. some of the other good ones right they've actually done these advanced darkroom techniques so it's less theoretical so that's why i say if you go and you become masterful at strategic selling and you study these hidden books then when you go into what to automate you're now automating quality uh motions because the all the automation layer is just the amplification of your strategy in your tactics love it so so this is why strategic selling is more important than ever um i have three messages the, the top one is we need to hire much more competent people to make the first impression this idea that sales is this game to take inexperienced college grads and put them in the front of our restaurant you know 500 ahead let's take someone who doesn't it's never worked there it doesn't work in any other industry why would you put the least experienced person yeah, <laughs> as the great. entry point uh, that's number one. So tr at least give them a ton more training. Well, there's, a, there's an issue too with the, the whole onboarding and interview process. I mean, that's what Marcus, uh, Marcus Kauke, he's my CRO, uh, and we're building a whole hiring process and we're looking for channel salespeople, everything like that. So like almost like SVP type of style, okay. some channels yeah. that want to work for us, whatever. And he, he's just, he says this word for word, he's like, it's going to be the most uncomfortable in uh interview process they have ever sat through in their entire life and they're gonna love it because we only hire fucking masochists <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was amazing but it's true is that it is just a painful terrible process that is so unique and weird throughout the whole thing and that's when everything really comes out 
it's it's interesting because I, I ended up uh, you know I've I've done a lot of very contrarian views of the SaaS ecosystem. Let's, let's imagine. So we need someone to create a six or seven figure opportunity. So we're going to hire the least experienced person. And then, then what we want to do, we want to save money there. And then we want to cut the tools out because we, we won't want them to have a lot of tooling. Oh, yeah. What's not gonna, any way to enable themselves. And we're not going to train them. And then let's put these really hard KPIs. It, it's this wild concept. So it's actually opposite. You need really experienced people to open your sales. You need them to have the best technology. You need to enable them and train them on the technology, and then you need to train them in general. Well, well, I'll, I'll do. I'll say one thing here: if you're going to be hiring, it's good to hire people that don't have experience because they need to learn somehow. But make sure you're fucking stable before you do something like that, so that you could take the L. Okay. But at the same, the best salespeople to hire, and I will say this till the day that I die, and I stand by it: the best salespeople with no sales experience to hire are bartenders. <laughs> legendary. I was a bartender. Well, how do you think I learned how to sell? I have no sales training. I have no background in sales. <laughs> Guess what? I was a bartender who religiously studied relationship psychology and uh, childhood psychology and was always interested in people who always existed outside of the framework. And then I would just look at people, see the patterns in their speech, what they do, how they feel and everything like that. I would make people their best friend. You know what my favorite upsell was? So when I was bartending, my favorite upsell that worked 60% of the time, and I shit you not 60% of the time, say, would you like another drink? They say, no, I'm good. Anything you say after that, they're not going to want another one. But I, I would say this, you're good, but you could be great. And then they just go, oh, shit. Yeah, I'll get another one. <laughs> you know, every single time. Tip goes up, pay goes up. That's what that is. So it's it's just, you. I didn't sell them another one. I just said, you feel this way, but you can feel that way. Isn't that what you want? It's just temptation and envy. That's it. That's all the temptation and envy. It's a beautiful thing. It's like a fine aged wine. It's, it's got so many flavors to it, so many textures, and it's everything you've ever wanted that you might regret, but probably not because you'll do it again. Yeah. People are inherently masochists. They like the pain. So are salespeople mainly because they get paid to get told no. People fear getting told no and rejection. It's salespeople. They want more and more. Give it to me. Give it to me. Right? Yeah. I, I fell into sales. I didn't have a, t a technical background because I didn't go to college and that became the big issue is I had to go to college. But then I realized that I had done these technical things with music recording in other people's studios, pretty serious studios in, yeah, but in good North music, Hollywood. Man, good, well-produced or well-choreographed music. How different is that from a conversation with a person and making sure that it's going the right way and it has the flow to it and everything? It is Music is very similar to uh, empathic connection. The kind of music production I did was highly technical. It was in the days of drum loops and when you were really splicing a ton of tracks. Like I just recorded an art, an audible in my book. And I did a thousand tracks and we EQ'd it and mastered it and you go get mastering at Capitol Records and all this stuff. And so, you know, the forensic level of just spending a week to get the drum tone and spending so much time on the hardware and the software and the effects and the filters and sitting there for hours fine-tuning this stuff mm -hmm. and, and just the acumen and then i had my own studio because when i wanted to do that so i was 21 i took a sales job i won the ladder i don't know i think i made like nine grand in one week I worked a 90 hour week so the most money i ever made in my life and i immediately blew every penny on a recording studio at home <laughs> and then i spent all my free time twirling all the knobs and take and what did i do i bought all these guides and i taught myself how to learn and be like okay Number one, this is set this up and it was all menu based and it was all early Macintosh stuff and interfaces mm -hmm. step by step by step. So what I teach people 
is these gradient step function logics. It's it's like it's Bob Ross. It's like you want to be a painter? Okay, happy little trees. And you're dabbing the paint and they look at it and they're like, whoa, I'm I'm setting meetings with Fortune 500 companies in two weeks using the guide. They don't really know why they're doing it, but I've I've made it bulletproof and very easy to to take someone who's just started in sales and make it sound like they have 20 years of acumen because yes. of some hacks that I teach them. So that's that's sort of become uh, my business for now. And yeah, it's been a cool podcast. No, that's good. no we're, we're pretty much done now. We're like right at the time. So it's good. I did want to say something though, how you said you did all that where you had to like figure it out and everything. So when I was 10 years old, uh, I begged my mom for a laptop for like a year. She finally came in and bought one and she was not, I didn't get shit as a kid. So I turned it on, I created my account and everything like that, got it all functioning and then used it for like five minutes. And I said, I gotta know how this thing works. Shut it off, took the whole damn thing apart. No instructions, and there was no Google or anything like, <laughs> that you could use or anything. So I, was, I took it all apart, it was all in pieces. I had to figure out how to put that shit back together or I was in deep shit for breaking the laptop. So I had to find out how to put together uh, like like a, 2000, a 2004 like HP pavilion, like the first HP <laughs> pavilion with all the ribbon uh, wire and everything with no hardware background, but I did it. There were three screws left over, but I did it and it functioned great, laptop lasted five years. But that's, that's the thing yeah. is that like, it's not about like the tech's cool and all, but like, how does it work? And that's the mindset you need to have is dig in, figure out how it works, but I'll finish it with that. That's, it's like, that's like your Great entire mantra, in. man. Totally. Yeah. Go toward the blowtorch, you know, just become 1% be better, you know, at the tech and you'll, the TQ will blossom. So thanks for having me on Rob, little Friday night uh, transmission here from from the surface of Mars. Oh, for sure. A lot more fun than going to a bar. But anyway, yes, uh, everybody, <laughs> this is, again is Justin Michael. He's got Salesboards AI. Check it out. That's a website. So salesboards.ai. Check it out. Take the TQ test there. I guarantee you, if you can beat me, you're a fucking legend. Okay. <laughs> it's um, not easy. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, this this uh, podcast is Down the Rabbit Hole podcast brought to you by White Rabbit Intel, where you can know more, win more, and close off them with sales enablement artificial intelligence that can tell you who's going to buy from you before you even speak to them. Incredible stuff. Anyway, thank you so much. And I look forward to hopefully getting another one out to you next week, but I've been slacking my ass off on this, honestly. Hashtag <laughs> DTRH podcast, hashtag sales enablement, hashtag follow the white rabbit. Don't do that on Instagram. You'll get banned. If you enjoyed this episode, follow Down the Rabbit Hole podcast for new episodes weekly on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, and YouTube. If you'd like to apply to be featured on the podcast or recommend a featured guest, please feel free to email us at the team at whiterabbitintel.com.